Welcome to the Property Ponderings Podcast, where I use my experience in property to provide valuable takeaways for those wanting to get a leg up in the property world. I'm your host, Craig Nickel, founder of Nickel Buyer Advisory, and I'm here to share over 15 years of industry experience with you. Today, we're going to be talking about my property system for buying wonderful investment properties. It is meant to be a very simple system to follow six simple steps that I hope can help you on your investment journey to ensure that you get properties that will outperform a lot of the other properties within the market and then you can reach the goals that you've set for yourself. These six criteria have been an essential part to me growing my own property portfolio but I will preface it on the basis that this system is built upon buying, holding and renovating homes as you go along. So I'm not a buyer and seller of property as active as other people may be. I am trying to go for the long, or some would say boring method of buying and holding properties to outperform in the market. We know that if you hold something over the short term, you don't necessarily get the uplift that that property may deserve. So it's very hard to assess things in the short term. Over a longer term time frame horizon, with this six step system, it will ensure you as much as possible in in this very crazy world at times to ensure that you do get a good result. This six pillar system that I do follow provides a simple criteria for you to follow and that I what I have followed as well to be able to ensure that your properties cover as many bases as possible to be a property that will outperform the market and be very desirable in, um, in the property world. So um, Let's get straight into it. And first I'll give you an overview of the six steps. So they include um, buying in an in-demand location, um, below median price, an emotional owner-occupier appeal property, uh, scarcity factor, multiplying your money is one of the key steps. And the last one is to have future renovation leverage. All right, so let's explain these points a little bit further. So buying in an in-demand location is point number one. Now we all know that the property system works on a supply and demand system and buying in the best possible location is going to ensure that you do have that demand. You want to be in areas where most people want to live. That's pretty basic. But the additional level of this is that there has to be some sort of X factor to the location. Uh, so some obvious X factors might be, you know, close to a really sought after school, close to um, an amazing lifestyle precinct where there's shops and cafes and parks and everything like that. Um, there may be something with water views or by the beach, um, up high on a hill where you get amazing views. All of these things can be a an X factor draw card for that property that will pull the value up. I've seen over the years that the way things work is that if you do have this X factor within a location, the property always performs better. When you buy the property, you may be paying a little bit more, but when you put it back onto the market, the demand is just as hot and it goes for even more than you think it would because it has that X factor pull. So it, it is something that if you can, you're trying to buy in as good a in-demand locations you can with X Factor. Now, 
there's budget constraints. So you can't always get the best of the best, you know, um, a property that's sitting on a clifftop over, you know, overlooking, um, you know, the Great Ocean Road. You can't always get those sorts of things, but you can get properties that have a certain X factor um, that are more affordable. Maybe they back onto a parkland and it's not a house, but it's a unit. You can walk out the back gate. I know I've sold properties like that before and they've gone crazy because you've, you know, you've got this unique aspect where you can walk straight out of your backyard into the park or into you know, a cycling or running track. You know, that's, that's an X factor thing. It can be, it can be small, but um, it, it is, it's, it's significant because um, you'll know that it's that X factor when it's not on every property. It's rare. You'll be looking in the market and then properties every now and again come up and they have that in-demand X-Factor location. So that's why patience is important, but identifying when this comes up that you know, you're know you going to an auction, you're putting in offers, and then the property price goes a bit higher than you think and suddenly you're out. But that can be a mistake. You've got to understand the value of what you're looking at. If you've got something that has that X-Factor, it's going to go for more than you probably think it rationally should. And so you have to be prepared to pay that little bit more for a much better return down the track. So that's point number one, in-demand location. Now, if we we can, you know, it's important to mention the other side of the coin as well. If you get the opposite of in-demand location, you know, being you know being close to somewhere where no one wants to live. The obvious one, main roads, you know, busy roads, noisy places. Um, industrial areas, you know, all these obvious things are the complete opposite of what we want. That's not an X factor, that's a detractor. So we have to be prepared to, um, you know, almost swipe those things off our list unless there's something else we're trying to do. A lot of main roads, there's a lot of development, you're looking for development sites, you know, that's a different story. But if you're looking for a home, then you might not want um, that same thing and suddenly that's, you know, that's a place that isn't an X factor location for you. So, you know, this these these points and along with the six they're all encompassing so they may just be one liners of principles but you know they are you know there's a lot of different parts to them that make up um, each principle you know an in-demand location is you know sounds simple but there are so many factors that can there are so many things that will work for an in-demand location but there's a lot of things that will work against it as well so you, know, you have to balance all those things up but ultimately we want an in-demand location where there's some x factor just in addition for for principle number one um, with in-demand location i do slip in the word status location in-demand status location because the status part is important because if you have a good status and the suburb is well known, more people want to live there. I can't tell you the amount of times that people wanted to buy properties that I'd sold or were selling purely because they had a postcode that they wanted to live in that was well known for being a fairly high status area. This is what drives people. It's human nature. Not everyone's driven by this, but there are a lot of people driven by that status. And so it's important that this is taken into account when you're buying. So obvious ones in Melbourne, you got Turak and Brighton and Albert Park down the southeast sort of side. And then you can go into other parts of um, inner city Melbourne, you know, Williamstown and then East Melbourne, Richmond. All these suburbs are known to be in great parts of um, of Melbourne and people want to live in these places so you have to take that into account and often 
that means that more money is going to that location. And so if more money is going to it, you're more likely that the prices will go up. And I know this brings in issues of affordability and um, for an investment. And I know that not everyone can afford to buy in these locations. But again, it's about maximizing these principles as much as possible. Try and get into as high status areas you can. And whether that's in Melbourne, Victoria, or you're going to interstate areas that also have this same mix, these principles can be um, moved across to um, work in any part of Australia. And so point number two is to buy below the median price in the, in the area and for a common property type. So let me explain. So a lot of the principles that underpin um, this six-pillar system that um, that I follow is that um, you know that the concept of value investing. You're buying. Um, I guess the easiest way to think about it is when you're buying shares, you're trying to buy something that you think is undervalued, and then um, you're you know waiting for that to correct itself to get back to what you think it should be. Now that's easier said than done. But if you can do that, the concept is that you're making money as you're purchasing the property. So when I say buy your property below the median value, that median value is is where most of the properties in the area should be selling around about. That can, that can differ depending on how many properties are sold in the area, but if there's an accurate median price, then we have a middle value that um, all the homes in the area are selling for. So we work from that. And what we've got is we've got a median value where we're trying to say purchase at that or below that so that most buyers that are looking in an area will come in and they can purchase your house. So this works in a couple of ways. You're getting an immediate uplift. So you know you buy into a median house price area of a million dollars and you pay 800,000. You might just find um, as the market moves that suddenly your property um, is following that median quite closely and it can it can sell for a bit more and catch up to that median quite quickly um, but if you buy a property for one point you know 1.3 in a one million dollar area um, suddenly you know as that price goes up it doesn't mean that yours goes up because you know there's still not as many buyers above the median that's why the median is lower than it so you know it's just about about um, it's about trying to get some instant up some instant growth but it's also about mitigation of risk if you know that you've always got a lot of buyers in the area at your price range then that gives you confidence for some reason you made it to sell quite quickly you're in a much safer price range than being way above the median in an area where you know it's, there's a lot less buyers um, it's normally the median um, for a reason you go into an area for a million dollars and then the next suburb closer to the city might be $1.2 million. If you're trying to sell your house for $1.2 million, but you're further from the city, then you're competing against those houses closer to the city that are the same price. And you know, in general, a lot of people want to live in the one that's closer to the city. Um, it's not always the case, but that's just an example. So um, you know, it's, it's also that mitigation of risk. And the additional point that I've said on this point number two is for a common property type, the full principle is to buy below median value, but for a common property type. Now, I've explained the first part of it. We're trying to buy below what things are commonly sold for in the area. But what I mean by common property type is, again, most people that buy into an area want a certain property type um, because 
you know, that's what most people are buying. That's where most of the buyers are, whether that's a three-bedroom house or a two-bedroom apartment. If you're buying in those zones, again, you're buying into these safer, these safer parts of the market where there are a lot of buyers. Um, the, the thing about the common property type also is that when you're trying to revalue the property, which is an important part of this system, when you're trying to leverage and then buy more properties later on, if you have a common property type, it's much easier to value the price. If you have something that's unique, then it's much harder to get a clear value. So it can be as simple as all the homes in the area are 600 square meters and yours is suddenly you know 900 square meters. You've got a big block. But there's no comparables for valuers to compare to. So when they're trying to value, it may come in um, under what you, what it's actually worth. It's not clear for a valuer. And so it doesn't give the valuer confidence, doesn't give the bank confidence to be able to lend you more money against that. So I guess, guess this part of the principle is more, you know, more about um, being able to progress your portfolio down the track by having that common property type. But again, it's also a mitigation of risk. So... Um, that's principle number two, um, fairly large principle when you think about all the different parts of it, but it's been amalgamated into a smaller principle that is around trying to mitigate your risk, but still trying to get that big uplift to outperform the market. Buying below that value, that median value in the area to get the uplift, but buying a common property type to mitigate the risk, but also have lots of buyers in that same price, same property type that are going to fight it out and push the price up and give a really clear view for valuers um, to be able to give you a valuation that's going to be confident and friendly for the bank to be able to lend you more money to then go again. Principle number three, emotional character appeal, getting that owner-occupier appeal from um, future buyers of, of your property or property type so that your value keeps going up. So you've bought an investment, um, you've, you know, you've got a, you've got this, um, you know, you've got this mindset where you're going from, from, you know, the fact that you're buying an investment, which isn't for you to live in, but people forget that um, the important part is, uh, and the parts that pushing the value of your property up is often owner occupiers, and that's been a heavy story the last couple of years, especially where a lot of investors have left the market, and all only people that are pushing prices up are owner occupiers um, in the residential market side of things that are pushing prices up higher. So. If you have a property that doesn't appeal to people that are buying homes, then when people like the valuers come to compare your investment property to the ones that have been selling, they'll be like, well, your property is not the same. So you haven't been getting the growth. Um, your property is you know, in a different, in a different value point. So what we're trying to get to is um, we're trying to buy properties that are highly attractive to people that want to live in them for families. And so um, these, you know, these types of homes are, are character homes. There's a lot of character homes, um, warehouses. You know, might be could be warehouse apartments. It could be it could be villa units that are great for downsizers that that are you know just want a one or two bedroom unit to retire into. Um, and it can be the most common um, bracket, which is family homes within areas, two, three, four bedroom properties that will appeal to people um, and have the makeup that makeup of a home that will be attractive um, for people to live in. So if you've got that appeal, um, then 
you know, then you're you're onto a winner. But if you don't and you're buying a property into an area where um, you know there's there's no emotional pull, well, I reckon you're in trouble. I know that a lot of people say that for an investment that you don't get emotional about it and and for different aspects of it, yeah, that's definitely the case. But but you want that emotional appeal um, on the property, um, even if you're not buying to live in it, because um, that emotional pull is what's gonna pull the price up higher um, for your investment as well. So um, there's a bit of a balance there I can see um, and a bit of a contradiction I know where you know, people say don't get too emotionally involved. Then you pay too much money, and then suddenly, you know, it's it's just an investment. So it's just about the money. But the the other side of it is you have to get a property that has that emotional pull, and that might mean that you do have some emotional pull into the property because it's such a you know it's it's gives you a great feeling. It looks you know it looks great. It's it's a you know it's in a wonderful location. That's fine, but you have to balance those things out. But you have to have that emotional pull, um, especially in the markets that we work in and that I'm buying in um, in Melbourne. You you need that. Most people are buying properties um, and pushing the prices up on homes that are very attractive. Um, so that's the market that you want to be in. That can mean that you end up going to auction and and you pay you know pay more than you th- you thought. Just like I said about the in in demand location, and you know that's just the way that it is. Um, you have to pay that little bit more when you go to buy these homes, and you'll end up getting more on the other side. You know it doesn't it doesn't make logical sense to say that I'm going to go buy a home that has no interest, and then suddenly um, when I go to sell it, it's going to have heaps of interest. Um, it's you know of of course, there's 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 the you know one in a thousand chance that you've gone to an auction and it's rained on the day and all the buyers have have gone somewhere, but the chances of that occurring are you know is slim to none. So if you're a, you're going to going to a property and you're buying it and there's no one interested, then you just start to ask questions. But it it shouldn't stop you if you've you're confident that they are still ticking ticking these principles. But that's probably another video. So let's get on to the next one. So principle number four is scarcity factor. Now, a big part of scarcity is land. Now, we know that land supply in Melbourne is not great. We've had urban growth boundaries put in place in previous decades that have had to be moved because we don't have enough land to supply new houses, and that creates all sorts of issues. But we know that the land is what's scarce. So it it doesn't mean that you just have to buy a house, but the houses tend to have more land and you have to be able to be able to say the rule and a part of this principle for me is that over 50% of the value of the property you're buying has to be in the land. So if you buy a house for a million dollars, the land, if you just sold it without a house, has to be at least $500,000. So the rationale behind that is that the land is what's really appreciating. And everyone's heard this, it's um, a colloquial saying, so you know, it doesn't need extra explanation. But I think for the um, subtleties of it all is that when you're buying the land, doesn't mean you just buy as much land as possible because different locations are better. So your high, you know, your high um, net worth areas within Melbourne may have much higher land content um, value per square meter than places that are further out. So you might not need to buy as much of that land but still in the background taking into account that 50% ratio the whole time. And it doesn't always mean that you buy a house over a unit because units also have a proportion of land that comes with it and a proportion of the common property on the driveway or an apartment block. If you buy 
a you know in a 12 unit block or 12 apartment block um, compared to a 50 or a hundred the land value that you contain within the portion that you've purchased is different and that's why I think for a lot of people in the property investment world you'll hear people say you're better to buy those old 60s and 70s units that are smaller blocks because you're getting a larger portion of the land and the land tends to be in really good locations so that's why um, that's why people can be quite bullish on those sorts of units but the the key point here is that remember that that 50 percent ratio if you can get it is a really important guide here and i know that for a lot of apartments definitely um, that would not um, suffice and and meet this uh, meet this principle the other part of of this principle when i talk about scarcity factor is you know it's an all-encompassing term like it can mean anything about the property type the location um, you know is the property type um, you know very limited within the area um, again an example i always go back to is melbourne has a lot of apartments being built know how how difficult is it how scarce is that asset to buy a one or two bedroom apartment in a block of 50 or 100 units within the inner city part of Melbourne it's you know it, there's a lot of cookie cutter stuff out there that is exactly the same so logically it doesn't make sense that that you would buy that because the scarcity factor isn't there and they're going to continue to build more but what they're not building more of is houses you know, great single level villa units are very difficult to find in inner and middle suburbs because they're not really being built very much. You know, over over the years of selling a lot of new properties, most of them would double or triple story and very few, very few, I'm talking probably less than 1% were single level villa units. So, you know, that tells you a lot about um, that type of property. Um, but scarcity as well comes back to the same points as the principles before. Let's talk about um, you know, ocean views, um, being next to a park, um, close to all these shops and amenities. Um, you know, th that's a part of the scarcity side of things. So you know, I, I think that if there was, if there was one, one principle that I think that could hold really true to you know to follow is that if you're ever looking at a property and you're looking to buy something just ask yourself like how scarce is this property how hard would this property be to buy if i didn't purchase this one that's right in front of me now would i have to wait a week three weeks four weeks a month two years four years for the same property or very similar to come back onto the market and if the only answer to that is, well, I'd basically have to wait for this one to come back on once these guys sell it again, then you've got your answer. You know, and that, that sort of pull is something that is obvious for people. And when they go to buy that property, they know it's scarce and they will end up paying more. And that's where you're getting your uplift in values. And that's why it's such a powerful concept for investment properties. Now, a large part of my property acquisition system is that the idea is that you know, when I'm buying properties and renovating them, that you know you have that opportunity to multiply your money. So, if I'm ever putting money into a property or planning to, you're purchasing something, and there is renovation potential. For me, I don't like to buy homes that are completely 
um, completely ready, but you know that's that's not always suitable for people that might be buying their own home, or or you know maybe they do want an investment where they don't want to do any work. But for what I was doing, and what I do is, and um, when I'm buying properties to renovate, um, I'm mapping out how I'm going to multiply my money within the deal. So the number that I'm working with within this principle number five is to at least get three times your money that you're putting into the property so this this encompasses everything from your initial costs and you know your stamp duty if you're paying for it so any cash you have to put into the deal so when I'm talking about multiplying your money I'm talking about my actual money that I put into the deal so if you put hundred thousand dollars in you want at least three hundred thousand out because a lot of the other costs are superfluous in that so and um, when you're talking about um, you know borrowing money from the bank if you end up borrowing hundred percent of the money from the bank and then you don't put any money into the deal um, then you know multiplying your money three times technically you know, it's not possible because you put zero dollars in which would be zero but if you put in one dollar then it'd be very simple um, to multiply your money by a hundred two hundred three hundred four hundred thousand times what you're actually putting into the deal but if you are buying a property and you're placing a deposit down a hundred thousand dollars for a one million dollar home um, then you know if you're if you're um, buying that property then you want at least that three times so in that in that instance then three times $100,000 would be $300,000 out as a profit and you know it may sound like I'm talking like I'm trying to flip the property uh, but the concept here is that you're taking into account when you buy the property so um, that if you're ever selling it that you know that that profit is within there within the renovation potential um, so um, this sort of links into point number six uh, which it'll all make more sense um, together is the is the future renovation potential on the property I want to be at least 20% um, so um, that 20% is you could call is a profit margin so that is within the property which I would say is lying dormant in the property when you're purchasing a property let's say it's unrenovated you buy it for a million dollars the property has the potential with a, an uplift of let's say you spend fifty thousand dollars on it um, to have an uplift of twenty percent um, so that profit that is sitting within the property is already there when you buy the property and I know there's a lot of other costs you know your stamp duty um, and you've got solicitor fees and all of that but I'm just keeping it simple you buy your property for a million dollars and then you've got fifty thousand dollars renovation and then that property that property there you'll get an extra twenty percent of um, the value that you've purchased, so a million, so two hundred, so it's two one million two hundred fifty thousand dollars in end value there that you could sell and move. So this works on a few different levels. One, you're locking in your profit early, and you're locking in a, a potential profit early. Um, you don't have to renovate straight away, but if you wanted to, you could, and then you could sell it. But that's not what I ideally want to do with, with my system or recommend to people. But it's there. And number two, it mitigates your risk. So you're buying a property, um, everything's going great. You bought that property for a million dollars. It's got the 20% renovation potential in it. You know, you were planning to hold it. Something happens, you lose your job, and then you need to sell it. The margin's there. Okay, well, I can renovate it here, 50, take, take the 200 off the top, and you're making that profit instantaneously. So again, mitigation risk, but you're also maximizing your profit and potential equity 
that you could have in the property because that 20% equity is vital if you are then trying to purchase another property, that property then can be used to leverage and buy that next one as security um, with that equity that you do have. So the big thing about it is that it's, it's the revaluation margin. So you've got the renovation potential in the property to, you know, to buy it for a million dollars, spend 50, get it to 1.25, have the $200,000 in equity that you can then use to purchase another property. Now, the important concept to understand here is that when you're buying a property and you're trying to look for this renovation margin, that what you need is a property that will stack up valuation-wise when you finish a renovation. So when you're looking at purchasing your property, you're looking at other properties that will fit that box where the valuer can come in and go, okay, well, the end product looks like this, which is just sold, and this is what they've just bought and then they've renovated it to pretty much this one here, they both look the same, so it's worth 1.25 now. That's what you need, and that's why all these principles together are so important, because to do that, you're gonna need a common property type that's in the area that a lot of people buy, so it's easy for the people, easy for the valuers to price up the property, and you're going to need properties in great locations, you're going to need scarcity factor, you're going to need all of these things to ensure that you have that uplift and so that revaluation margin is really important, especially for all those people out there looking to buy and hold properties. The renovation strategy can be a really good one. But yes, it can be a bit longer term. Of course, you can build the equity up, but you need to be able to service. And that's been a big thing over the last couple of years, being able to service those um, new loans for the new properties um, is not often as easy as, as that. But what you're gonna find is if you've got this renovation margin in all these properties that you do have, then suddenly, when the time is right, you can unleash with renovations to uplift all these properties and use those use the equity that you have on top of the equity from buying below the median house value or median unit value in your area to be able to leverage into more properties in your property portfolio. So there you go, six principles on making your next investment property an outperforming asset in the property market. Now, I hope that all made sense to you. I know that there were some technicalities in there that might need some further explaining, which I will do in some follow-up videos, um, but I'm sure you get the gist of what I'm trying to do. A lot of it is around um, making, making sure that the property you're buying is very unique and in demand. And then there's this underlying concept of you know, being able to um, leverage into longer-term um, longer prospects and more property. Uh, but then there's also underlying all of that is mitigating risk. Buying a property that you can sell really quickly if you need to with a potential profit margin on it at any point in time. Thanks for listening. I hope that can help you make better property buying decisions. I'm Craig Nickel from Nickel Buyer Advisory. You can get more information about my services at nickelbuyeradvisory.com.au. Until next time, we'll speak soon. Follow Property Ponderings on Spotify or subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. The information provided in this podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be considered as financial investment advice. The content is not tailored to any specific individual's financial situation, objectives or risk tolerance. Before making any investment decisions, it is essential to consult with a qualified financial advisor or seek independent financial advice that takes into account your unique circumstances. 
Any investments or financial decisions you make based on the information in this podcast are solely at your own risk. The podcast hosts and guests are not responsible for any financial actions taken as a result of the content presented. Always conduct your research and due diligence before making any financial investments.